Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Design wants to do things our own way, and we don't want to follow God's way. And so we're reminded of our human tendency to rebel here in verses 1-3. through And family, Romans chapter 1 tells it in, in a much more graphic understanding. Don't turn there, but let me just walk with you. In verse 24 it says this, For although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So family, understand. Let's, let's set the stage here. If you don't wish to honor God and you choose to ignore Him, you will always, always, always also reject His teaching, His authority, His advice, and His absolute. You always will. You will make ideas up. So once you forget God, there is now a desire to do things our own way. So verse 24 says, God gave them up. So humanity, as we see a moral breakdown, no longer saw their bodies as the privileged creation that God created man and woman. God created male and female with a purpose that this unity of separation reflects some of the unity and separation of the Trinity. And because we didn't want to look like that, we also didn't want to act like that. And the partnership broke down. Remove God and you remove man's holy position. So, masculine male no longer wants to be masculine male in partnership with feminine female. And feminine female no longer wants to be in partnership. We want to do our own thing, our own way. Notice, if you will, verse 25 of chapter 1. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creator, the creature rather than the Creator who blessed them forever. Amen. So verse 6, 26 says, For this reason God gave them up. Follow along with me. If you give up the holiness of God and you begin to worship a creature that God made, and you look at the tendencies and the behaviors of the creature, you will always reduce your behaviors to their behaviors. Because they have no reason why they are what they are. And you look down and go, wow, you now reduce who you are to the things that you consider important. It is a natural consequence. So whenever you read religious history at all, I challenge you, read the Greek, read Greek gods and goddesses. They act as immoral, 
as anything you could imagine. They act as arbitrary as anything you could imagine. They do what they want, when they want. And if that is their gods, you find mankind acting exactly the way their deities do. So finally, in Romans 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, finally in verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind. And so the final strategy we see in mankind is right becomes wrong, and wrong becomes right, as the thoughts of man are not connected to the mind of God, when not connected to the mind of God, we always fall into the selfishness of sin. So, forgive me, but let me put it into your own context sometime, in, in, in some time in your life. How many of you, don't raise your hand, and understand that at least in an imaginary way, my hand is already up in the illustration. So, how many times have you looked down and you've seen the standards of God and you did what you wanted to do? How many times? Is it a routine in your life? We will always, always, always reject the standards of God when we don't have God as God. We always will. We struggle with it, and we would identify ourselves as redeemed. So mankind looks down and says, let's throw off these cords. Let's throw off all of His standards. Let's get rid of them. And yet even Jesus said, when you yoke to Me in Matthew, He says, My yoke is easy. So what they saw as difficult, God in His love and His care and His tenderness and His authority reminds them again in contrast to what they want, what He's offering them is an easy place. So against all of the world sin that you see, against all of the political intrigue, against all of the country against country, the wars and the rumors of wars, what should you expect? Do you really believe that God is somewhere asleep? Do you think He's not aware of what's going on? Let's see what Scripture says. And I want you to see, notice the response from God. Verses 4 through 6. He who sits in heaven, in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for Me, I have set My King on Zion, My holy hill. So family, you and I see the Lord sitting above it all in the majesty of universal glory. What I want you to notice is, is when you see the text, he doesn't even shuffle in His throne. I mean, there's no sense of nervousness if something's going down here that in some way is going to cause Him 
much concern. And let me challenge you for a moment. In light of the connection of world history, beginning in Genesis, where you see God in absolute authority, let me walk you right to Revelation. And what do you see? You see the promised King David. The one from his genetic line. Jesus Christ coming down in absolute authority against the very kings and the very political rulers that wish to throw off the shackles of his cords. And he does so with extreme thoroughness. And so family, we, we have here this incredible picture. God's laughter shows the folly of rebelling against Him. And we're in a moment of world history, we're not privy too often to that, to that curtain that, that allows us to peek into God's throne room of the supernaturals, and at the same time be looking down here at what's going on, as if we can see both of them easy and cleanly. Now, you and I might make application and recognize, boy, there were some moments during the Civil War it could have swung the other way. And in swinging the other way, wouldn't America have been a different place? We, we can come to World War II and recognize, whoa, there were some moments when it was nip and tuck. Could you imagine what would have happened in world history if there wasn't a Winston Churchill who kept pushing and encouraging the English Empire to stand and to stay strong as London is being decimated and Britain is being bombed by the Nazi Germany? And yet the resolve was almost miraculous. So we can speculate, we can think about but there's very few times when we're really privy. I want to take you to Isaiah for a moment in time, if you would. But Isaiah pulls back the curtain. And, and in pulling back the curtain, we get to see the sovereign God and human struggle together in this moment. Israel is about to be attacked by the Assyrians. And family, if there's any, if there's any country today that is the prototypical world domination, it was Assyria. Understand, Assyria was a terrible, a terrible time. And under Sennacherib, the king of this story, and his father Sargon is one of the worst. I can tell you of stories. They took an Arabian king and carved holes in his cheeks put a dog chain through it, and then put him, the king, in the kennel. And it made him fend for himself among the dogs of Assyria. They took another king and locked him up, literally like a bird in a cage. They would come into a town and essentially tell them, you have one shot to surrender. If you do not surrender, let us tell you what would happen. And we have recorded in history moments in time where they took all of the royalty and beheaded them, piling their, their skulls into a human mountain and then covering that mountain 
with the flesh of the citizens. So when you came in, you knew the Assyrians had been there. So now this man, Sennacherib, sends his ambassador to the very gates of Jerusalem. And he looks out and he's now addressing anyone who's standing here at the gates, looking over the, 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 the edge, if you will, of the city wall. And he says this, in Isaiah 36, beginning in verse 18, Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, The Lord will deliver. Have any of the gods of the nation delivered this land out, or his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? So, essentially, let's boil it down. You think you got a god? Don't you think your God's more powerful than me, Sennacherib? I have already destroyed every other city that represents any other God. I am deity. And as Hezekiah lays out his prayers before God, and he recognizes what a position he's in, God answers Hezekiah. And he says this in chapter 37, 29. To the king of Sennacherib, you have raged against me. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And the Bible tells us that 185,000 of his troops were killed by the authority of God in one night. And God dragged him back home with his tail between his legs. Family, even history bears out that something big happened here. We have a, a stila, a, a marker stone that, that commemorates his great achievements. And he will tell you that he destroyed 46 Israeli cities. And he left Jerusalem like a bird in its cage. Well, forgive me, but every time you ever attack a city, the first thing you do is put a siege ramp around it. You, you, you encircle it so they can't get any food in, they can't get any water in. You encircle it like a bird in a cage. So all he did was is to say, I started the attack. But it never finished. Even from his own explanation, he screwed up. Family, your God is in control. Your God will not allow sin to reign supreme. I want you to notice as he continues to look down that relationship between God in control and Son given authority is found in our next series. And notice, if you will, there's an explanation by the Son. And so it begins in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son today, and I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations of your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And you will break them with a rod of iron, and you will dash them in pieces like a potter's head, or like a potter's vessel. 
Verse 7 goes straight to Christ. Family, and I want you to, to understand that this verse plunges us deep into theological truth. This is the idea behind a phrase known as the hypostatic union. What makes Jesus God and man? Alright? Easy question, isn't it? Any of us could answer that. Sit down with your children and simply explain, oh, uh, let me tell you exactly how Jesus is both God and man simultaneously. But this is exactly where He takes us. But I want you to understand, it is this sonship that's really incredibly profound. Listen to some of the New Testament verses that talk about it. In Acts 13.33, they use this very verse. That today I've begotten you. And he uses the resurrection, the moment that Jesus comes out of the grave, as that identity. You know that Jesus is the God-man because He walked out of the grave. Hebrews 1.5 ties His Sonship to true deity. He says, to who did I ever say? To which of the angels did I ever say? You are My Son. Today I've begotten you. So He identifies Him with pure deity. Equality with the Father. In Hebrews 5.5, 5, he tells us of the uniqueness when he ties and explains that as the eternal God, this Son, Jesus, is a priest. Not, not Levitical, but under the order of Melchizedek. A unique, standalone understanding that Psalms begins teaching us. And we find its fruition here that Jesus is the unique one to take the position of both priest and king. And He does so by His divinity. He does so by His identity with King David. And in doing so, He stands unique. John describes His authority. So we see in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, He will smite the nations. He will kill the nations. And He will rule them with a rod of iron. So family, this is God's plan for dealing with rebellious mankind. The end is graphically to the end of His authority or to the, the strength of His authority. But I want you to see as we close out this incredible God who could say, anything he wanted and had a right to do so. He had the power to bring, in to, to bring in creation. He had the power to turn whatever whatever world leader wishes to defy him. He had the power to transform you and I from the depth of our sin to the holiness of Jesus Christ, through the work of Christ on the cross. He has the right and the authority and the power to end world history as He would demand. He has, the, he has the holiness to judge perfectly and will do so in Revelation chapter 20. And then He will have the privilege of bringing into the eternity 
a relationship with you and I that He simply calls us the bride of Christ and He the bridegroom that we will know for all eternity. He's the one who has that right. But I want, what I want you to understand is though He has the right to demand all of this, He does so by asking us to join Him. It will happen. It will occur exactly as He promised. But He asks us to, to join along. And I want you to listen in these last three verses. Just the flavor by which He invites. Now therefore, verse 10 says, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you will perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And so family, verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 1 of chapter 1 started with that idea of happy is the man. Same word, same setup, same everything. Happy is the man. Or happy are all of those who take refuge in Him. Happy are all of those who delight themselves and spend time and contemplate God's Word day and night. This is the happy person who submits to God's plan and delights in His teaching. But let's be fair as we, we talked a moment. Sin and its rebellion are not just an action of world leaders. We are all in some way sinful and have told God that we will burst His bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Family, we're all guilty. So Romans can say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6 could say, for the wages, for that, that which we're going to get paid for, is because of sin. And the wages that we deserve is death. We've all said, I'll do it my way. But I want to remind you, salvation is not just a ticket to heaven and then we can do what we want. Now, we've talked about that from, from time to time. Family, if I had a chance to go to heaven, one of the reasons that salvation was attractive to me was I got to go to heaven and, and get my own way. I mean, well, let's be fair. How many of you have talked about your mansion in heaven? And what your, your mansion is going to have in heaven? Any of you? Don't show your hands. I'm the only one. All right, I'm the only guilty person in the whole room. How many of you have looked down and said, my mansion's going to have a fish pond in the backyard? And my mansion, we're not going to even have a limit. I catch fish on every cast. How many of you have had a golf course in your backyard in your mansion in heaven? How many have done what you want your way as you think of eternity? Salvation is not a ticket to go to a place where you do what you want anytime you want it. That is not the nature of glory. So we are told every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.
Family, I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus says that He is Lord, He is boss. And on one level, we recognize that a, that a, young, that a young convert, a young Christian, someone who's just responded to the Gospel, doesn't fully understand what it means to be Lord. I remember as, as, as my young ones came to Christ, they didn't understand the Lordship. But I do want you to understand, on some level, they knew that God was boss, that Jesus was God, and that Jesus told them to obey their parents. Alright? So there's not a lot of depth there in terms of the Lordship of Christ, but they knew Jesus was boss. They knew that at some level. Now here's the question for you and me. We always want to argue that. Here's my question. Have you grown to appreciate the Lordship of Christ in your life? That Jesus is our Master. That Jesus is our authority. That Jesus is the one we submit to and obey. And that our heart attitude is completely tuned to Him, for Him, and we want to identify with Him in all things. Does that explain who we are today? You see, family, we all want to stand before the American flag and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. We all want to be good citizens. But my question is this. Do you stand with an even greater allegiance to the sovereign God and your Savior Jesus Christ to recognize that in this world you are sojourners and aliens. You are campers and backpackers and you own nothing. And you are heading to a place where God is sovereign. And recognize that everywhere you walk now, God is still sovereign. And you don't fit. You're one cog off with the rest of the world. With the ideals of the rest of the world. Can you act and say, like Philippians chapter 2, after reading about how great and majestic God is, he tells us in verse 14 that we are to live a life without grumbling and questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So do they point fingers at us and say, yeah, they're Christians? Or do they point fingers at us with nothing to blame us for? And say, yeah, they're Christians. You see, we have a sovereign God. Submission to your Savior should describe, should describe the character of your life. And so family, when we see a psalm like Psalm 2, is it the driving force to say, wow, my God's in control not only of America, not only of the European Union or the concerns of Russia and China, but He's also the sovereign one of my heart 
of my allegiance, of my obedience, of my trust in Him, of my willingness to set everything aside, considering myself on the very road to crucifixion that He is. He is my boss. And to Him, I owe my all. Father in Heaven, please, I pray, help us to understand just who You are and who the Son is. And dear God in Heaven, I would ask that You would give us a renewed understanding. Start with me of just who You are. Dear God, may that shape our thought process. May that shape our action plan. Father, may that shape our sense of submission to Your authority. Dear God, may it shape our fears that we no longer fear some of the things that we naturally do. So dear God in Heaven, I would pray that You would be with us. That we may understand the greatness of the God who called us in redemption. The God who allowed us to respond to the gift of salvation and to the God who would ask us to live as innocent and blameless to a world that looks and analyzes and points a finger at us. Dear God in Heaven, may we be the holy representative of the country of Heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.